Welcome to the BC Podcast, featuring a weekly message from Believer's Church in Warren, Ohio. For more information, visit www.believers.cc. If you're new here, or if you missed a couple weeks, we are capping off a series called Unstoppable. And uh, it's been so much fun, and we thought, what better way to finish up this series than to share an unstoppable story? And when you hear the story of George, it's going to blow you away. And here's what I know is going to happen in each of your lives, is that you're going to leave feeling encouraged and inspired. And uh, we're going to jump right into it, because he's got an an amazing story, and it'll take a little time to unpack. But um, George, uh, most babies arrive into the world, and there's a lot of excitement. They kind of arrive with great fanfare. Uh, in America especially, George was born in a small village in Romania, and um, he did not arrive in the, same, uh, in the same way and on the same terms. And maybe if you could just kind of walk us through what it looked like when you came into this world. Yeah, well, first, let me just say how excited I am to be here this whole weekend. It's just been so much fun. Um, I, I've, I've just been having such a great time meeting all of you and just been taken care of so well with lots of, lots of Perkins, and oh, it's just so good. And, <laughs> I love it. Um, so you can, you can see I don't have arms, right? I'm just, let me do this, just to, in case anybody is in disbelief right now. I don't have arms. Um, and like, like Joe was just saying, that when a baby's born, um, it should be a celebration. It should be a great time of just this new life being born into the world. It's, it's, it's a happy moment. It really is. Um, but when I was born, unfortunately, it wasn't like that. Uh, for me, and the reason was because of the way I was born, because I was born without arms. And over there in Romania, at this time, uh, there was this weird superstition uh, that if a baby was born uh, imperfect, quote, ah, <laughs> oh, man, I, you guys with arms can do it so much better than I can, or you guys with hands, so if you can help me, uh, if a baby's born imperfect, quote, okay. I like your way better, it's cool. You can kind of see. Um, they, they, they were believed to be uh, cursed. So they were believed to be literally cursed by God because they are not like everybody else, that they are less human, that they are less human. So when my parents and my biological family uh, brought me back home from uh, the hospital to their small, tiny, little, poor little village, um, it was not a happy homecoming. Instead, uh, the villagers saw me, and they were just horrified. Like, how could they bring this curse back to the village? Why don't they just get rid of him right there at the hospital? You know, th- so that, that was kind of the beginning right then and there of what would have been the rest of my life if, if I had stayed in, in Romania. Unbelievable. And so, obviously, it's very difficult for us to kind of relate to what, what uh, George experienced coming into the world. And you don't remember a whole lot of it, but your adoptive parents have kind of walked you through it. This led your biological parents to make one of the most gut-wrenching decisions any parent would have to make. Tell us about that. Yeah, so, you know, my my biological parents were just experiencing this and seeing how I was being treated, so they uh, had to decide what to do next. So they knew that, you know, if if I would have stayed in Romania, this would have been my destiny, is just being treated as an outcast for the rest of my life, being treated as a curse for the rest of my life. And th- it was such a hard decision to, to of what to do uh, because, uh, for one, th- they loved me. They loved me so much. They didn't believe any of the, any of the curse stuff. I, I should probably tell you that. Um, they didn't believe that. They, they loved me so much. But at the same time, they knew there, there had to be something better 
for their only son, which was also another big deal. You know, culturally, I was their only son. I still am. Uh, the, but, but they just knew he deserves better. He deserves a better life. He deserves a chance to, to be something, you know. So they, they decided, you know, the best chance for him is, is to, so for somebody else to take him, for somebody else who can take better care of him uh, to do that. So they put me in an orphanage uh, just with that hope that maybe someone out there somewhere will give me a chance. Yeah, and so uh, as the story continues, you would think that it might have gotten a little bit better and improved as he went to this orphanage, but that wasn't the case. And at the time, the, the country was in so much turmoil uh, that this was actually a harmful environment, it was definitely not a nourishing environment. And uh, your parents, we're going to talk about them in a second, but when they first came, kind of describe the scene they came to and how, how you looked at 18 months yeah, so, you know, a, l a little history lesson is when, when I was, so I'm 21 years old, so I was born in 94, and um, in, in that year, this was kind of right after Romania had gotten rid of their communist leader, their evil communist leader, and um, so right after this, the whole country was just a big mess. It was just a one big mess with no leadership and no direction, so this orphanage um, was, was also just a big mess. It was, it was really one of those orphanages you see on TV or at adoption conferences where they show you how bad orphanages are, um, you know, in Africa and some in Russia and Europe and stuff. It was dirty and it was uh, depressing and there were way too many babies for way little uh, nurses. There's probably one for every 100 uh, babies, so one nurse for every 100 babies in, in this orphanage. Just overcrowded, overstimulated, just sickness everywhere. Uh, death everywhere and just just really depressing so this is what my adoptive parents walked into they you know they, they just walked in and kids were just banging their heads on the walls because they were so just completely out of it and um just a really really depressing place so um you, you'd think that going to an orphanage would have been better for me but it was actually uh, even worse you know and that was kind of the 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 chance that we they my parents had to take in putting me in this orphanage you know because uh they knew I'm, I'm to them, I'm to, to the nurses, I'm still a curse. Uh, so I wasn't taken care of, I wasn't uh, looked after, I wasn't fed as much as I needed to be, and um, just completely uh, sick. And so this is what really got to me as a dad and as a parent that's had little kids. You were 18 months old when your parents came, and how much did you weigh at 18, years, uh, 18 months old? So I, I was nine, month, uh, nine pounds. Weighed nine pounds at 18, 18 months. months. I think a lot of babies are born that heavy. And uh, so obviously malnourished, not in a good place. Um, there was a doctor that would come through the orphanage and he would give an assessment of every child there. And he wrote something really, really uh, devastating on your crib. Tell, tell everybody about that. Uh, yeah, this, uh, th there's a doctor who came in to evaluate all, all the babies uh, and just l look at everyone. And then he, he came and he saw me and he saw the situation I was in, and he saw that I was sick and really malnourished and I, that I didn't have arms. And he wrote on my crib, on the little note, um, my name, and then he just said, this boy will soon die. That was it. And then he uh, put a date for the nurses to fill in when I would be dead. Because cause in his mind, in his head, he saw me, and he just said, this is a hopeless situation. There, there is no life here. There is no hope here. He's, this is a worthless child. He should just die soon anyways. That, that, that's, that's the ine inevitable thing that will happen is he will die. Um, and that, that's what he thought. But, but the cool thing about God is God had a different plan. So. so let's talk about that for a second. Here there is this awesome couple across the ocean in Connecticut. And um, they're, they're living 
what George describes as a very comfortable life. What do you mean by that? Right. So it's really important to understand that when my parents adopted me, they, they had a, their own um, kind of life-changing experience as a couple. Uh, so they, they were, you know, they were believers and they were going to church every Sunday and just checking that off the list and being religious and doing everything you're supposed to do um, as Christians. But by a certain sermon, they were really convicted by that, that they were just kind of just getting by, you know, whatever that even means. Um, the sermon was kind of really just about as believers and as followers of, of a God who, who gives us purpose and has so much for us that we aren't called to live comfortable lives. We aren't called to be comfortable. And my parents were very comfortable. They had three children of their own, and my dad had a great job, and they were just happy, and or they thought they were, and uh, they, they were comfortable, and they were just living, living life just as it is. You know, Sunday morning, you go to church. The rest of the week, you do what you want. You just whatever. And, you know, you went to church on Sunday, so you're good to go. Uh, but they, they felt really convicted by that, and they, they really uh, understood that, you know, that God has so much more uh, for us than just living life and letting it pass us by. And because so they see this picture of you in this, uh, in this magazine, and it's not a pretty picture, but there's something inside of them that says, this is our son. Yeah, exactly. So, so on that way home from church, my, they were talking about it, and um, they were saying, my mom was like, yeah, you know, we, we, we should ask God, we should pray. What, what, what is it that, that you're calling us to? And, and my dad was shaking his head, and he was, and he was totally agreeing. And uh, it's funny when my parents talk about this, but they had two very different things in mind. Um, my dad was shaking or nodding his head, and he was like, yeah, so we'll, we'll, you know, we'll go volunteer at a soup kitchen or a homeless shelter, or we'll go uh, take care of some animals at the vet. Um, which is all great stuff, but it's just very different than what my mom had in mind. So my mom comes up and says, we should find a child that nobody else would seemingly want and adopt him. Wow. Um, my mom just had that thought. So my dad was like, okay, sure. Yes. Yes, honey. Just kind of let that one slide. How long have you been married, George? Oh, two years. I'm already... Two years. So that's wisdom that you can take through your marriage. Yes, it is. Um... But yeah, but yeah so, so a couple days later, my mom was looking through a Bethany Christian Services uh, newsletter and just kind of out of curiosity, just kind of they want to get in the field of adoption a little bit, dip their, dip their toes in the water, and then she sees my picture. And uh, on the picture, it's just really sad black and white picture of me just as a baby just screaming and crying. And it just a really sad, really broken, this picture looks like hopelessness. This picture looks like death. And then on the description, of course, it had you know, the same description that the doctor had put there, like saying this boy will soon die, and here's his death date, essentially. Wow. Um, so right then and there, my, my, my mom called my dad over. They looked at it, and then right there, they immediately felt the call from the Holy Spirit and the tug, or more of a punch, really, because it was so sudden. <laughs> um, and he, the, God just told them, go to this country, and make this boy your son because I have a plan for him. Wow. And I mean, that's incredible. You're just putting ourselves in their shoes. There's no hope. There's no guarantee that, uh, that anything that the doctor is saying uh, could turn out to be false. Like, th this is a, a faith step. And so they, they invest in, in this trip, fly across the ocean to Romania, and they, they arrive at the orphanage. And uh, to this point, you were telling me that every single person that had ever seen you had kind of made this pronouncement of death over you and said, this is a mistake, this is a curse. And all of a sudden, your, your mom holds you for the first time, and she sees a very different 
story. Tell us what she tells you she saw in that moment. Yeah, well, my, pa- my parents tell me, or told me that when, when they came to the orphanage and they were going to pick me up, all the nurses were like, no, 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 don't, don't touch him, don't touch him. He, you know, he's, he's cursed, don't, don't touch him. About, about their own son that they're just about to adopt. They, they were saying that. Um, but anyway, so my mom picked me up for the first time, and here I am, this nine-pound, almost toddler, and uh, I'm sick, and I'm pale, and I can barely hold, I can't even hold my own head up, and I, I just look like I'm about to die. Uh, but my mom picked me up, and she said that I gave her, like, a little smile, you know, so I kind of gave her this little smirk, and uh, to her, when, when she saw that, she explains it like that was, the, that was confirmation from God that there is life in here. God does have a plan for this child, and we're doing the right thing. We're, doing, we're obeying what God is calling us to do. Um, that, that was what she felt and, and what she knew, so they both just felt that confirmation. Um, it was a really special moment for her. And, and so in this moment when everyone has seen you as a curse, there's this person from across the world that sees you as a blessing and sees you the way God sees you. And uh, I think it's pretty incredible today. How many adopted brothers and sisters do you have now? Yeah, so after they adopted me, they adopted eight other uh, children. Uh, Isn't that incredible? Can we give it up for them, man? Like, how cool is that? From, uh, from five, uh, five different countries. Wow. Uh, soon to be nine. Uh, they're actually in the process of adopting a, a boy from China who was born uh, without, without eyes, so who, who is blind. Wow. Um, that's their ministry, and that's what God calls them to do. And God calls you to do something, and you obey. <laughs> that's, that's what they learned. Now, growing up, you said actually next in line was your other brother who was also born without arms. And so they, it was really cool how God brought them together. But tell us, you guys didn't get along at first. No, I mean, so... <laughs> So my, my parents, or my mom, is, is such an instigator. You know, she, um, like, uh, with adoption. My, my parents joke about it, that my, my, that my mom is the gas pedal and my dad is the brakes. You know, she's always, like, on the adoption sites. And my, my dad jokes around that, you know, if you have kids and if you have teenagers, sometimes you put the filter on your Internet so that, you know, they can't go to any of the bad websites and stuff. Uh, but my, my dad is joking about putting the filter on the adoption websites. <laughs> so she can't. Um, <laughs> we got to meet your parents one day, man. They're great. They're, they're Maybe they can come next time. That'd Absolutely. be fun. Yeah. Um, I don't even know where I was going with that. Well, your, your brother... Oh, my brother. Oh, that's why. I don't want to talk about him. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, so my, my mom had uh, saw James as my brother uh, from India, and he, he was also born with arms. So she uh, just had the awesome idea of, ad- you know, they would adopt him too, and me and James would be, would be brothers. You know, we'd learn from one another and just be armless brothers together. You know, just be like a movie, like the armless brothers, or a band. Um, but James uh, came uh, in the house for the first time, and he started playing with one of my toys. And I walked over to him nice and slowly, and then I just took my leg, and I tripped him up. And I got down, and I started wrestling him. And then he turned around, put me in a chokehold, and my parents had to break us up. And thus began a long rivalry brothers. Day one of a flourishing friendship. Yeah, actually now, now we're good. He's in college and we don't live together anymore. We don't share a room. Uh, <laughs> so we're good. But um, yeah, my, my family, I just want to say my family is, is very unique and very special. There's actually a video online called I Like Adoption that is just about, it's a five minute just cool little video about our family. And um, it's definitely a Dis- Disney coded version of our family. Everyone's smiling and happy and not pulling each other's hair out. And my parents threw everything under rugs. So the house looks clean. Um, but it is a cool video if you just want to see like, the effect of 
adoption. And they can uh, find that at georgedenehy.com. They can. Yes, yeah. they can. And uh, I would encourage you, give them a follow on uh, Twitter, Instagram. What's your handle for? It's that armless guy. So easy to remember. At that armless guy. Yeah. Easy you to can remember. say it. That's cool. Yeah. You pick the name. Um, yeah. That's awesome. So give them a follow and you can check out all kinds of amazing things. Well, um, I like that you said that your family wasn't perfect and but it was definitely an improvement from where you're going. They're teaching you all about God. You're in this really protected, healthy environment. Really, you, you call it sheltered to this point. Yeah. But there comes this moment where you move. You go to a brand new school, and it's middle school. I think all of us can remember like how tough middle school was, just for any of us, and uh, let alone what George is, is having to deal with. Walk us through what that looked like for you. So, you know, going, moving from Connecticut to Virginia, where, where I live now, was the biggest, one of the biggest changes in my life that I remember, probably aside from being adopted. Uh, but from what I remember, moving from, from nice sheltered private school slash homeschool Connecticut to uh, being thrown in this big public middle school for the first time uh, as an 11-year-old kid. And, um, you know, it was one of those things where I, I walked on the bus, and from that moment on, right there, was when I experienced what it meant to, to be uh, different, what it actually meant to, to be weird or a freak or disabled because uh, these kids and students on the bus and in school um, just continuously and constantly uh, were, were bullying me, were uh, kind of picking me out among the crowd because I'm different and uh, making me an easy target to, to pick on, to, I don't know why, to make themselves feel good or just out of pure hate, just picking on me. I don't know what the reason was, uh, but for those years in middle school, I was bullied so much that, that it brought me to a very, very dark uh, place in my life. Yeah, and I, I can imagine that, you know, obviously, uh, sometimes when, when we don't understand something in life, it's, it's very easy to gravitate towards just making fun of it, and uh, especially with, with kids, there can t at times be cruel. And so this began to form this idea, really reinforce what was happening all those years ago when you were a, a young baby, and that same narrative began to play that you're worthless and that God made a mistake with you and all of these things, and it got pretty dark. It got to the place where no parent wants to hear these words come out of their kid's mouth, but you were contemplating suicide. Talk, us, talk to us about that. Yeah, I mean, you know, first thing, I mean, it's, it's, it's so important, and it's the truth that as human beings, all of us are, are created with a sense of community and a sense of relationship. We're all relational people. We all want to be in relationship with other people and be in community and be friends with people and be loved and accepted and appreciated, um, and especially as a middle school student, especially as a kid trying to find his way, like, well, what's my point here on this earth? Why am I even here? Um, there's so many questions coming up in your head. You're starting to think for yourself. You're starting to wonder a lot about God and wonder a lot about life in general. Um, and I was doing the same exact thing. I was looking for a reason why I was here. And I was looking for, you know, kids and friends to be, to be friends with and to hang out with and be loved by. But, um, as a middle schooler who didn't have any of that, but exactly had the opposite of that, it brought me to a very, very dark place um, because I, I was alone and I was hurt and I was broken and kids were calling me names and telling me I would never be anything in life and that I'm, I'm weird and I'm a freak and um, just making fun of me. And, and um, I just remember over, like, every day I'd open up my locker with my feet and that took like 15 minutes to do. But then, but then kids would come by and just shut it and just keep on walking. Come on. Yeah, I mean, I'm not even joking about this. This is real stuff. And 
And then I, I just gave up, and I'm like, all right, I, don't, I don't need that book, and I, I just want to go home. I, I'm going to pretend to be sick wow. so I can go home. Um, so, you know, going through that brought me to question a whole lot of stuff uh, in a very negative way, you know, because we, we all have those questions in life where we're like, what, what's my point here? What's my purpose here? And who am I? Who am I supposed to be? And I was asking those same questions, and uh, some of my questions turned a little dark, or turned very dark and bitter, and I started... Um, looking at myself in the mirror, and I, I, would, I would hate what I saw back, first of all, and then I would look up to the sky and just yell out to God and say, how could you do this to me? You know, I would just, at, just, just yell and just be like, God, why are you doing this? You know, why me? How could, how could you, such a loving God that, I, that we hear about so much in church, you know, I, I grew up in church, you know, I heard all this stuff. I heard all about God loves you and and. Jesus loves me, this I know, and John 3.16, and Jeremiah 29.11. You know, this is stuff we hear all the time in church, um, but I, it's so easy for it to go out one, or in one ear and out the other. And that's exactly what it was doing for me, and I, I just completely started to doubt everything, everything about what God, who God is and what life is all about. And I started asking God, how could, you know, how could such a loving God who is supposed to be good and, and nice and sweet and, and loving, and, but how could he forget to put arms on me? You know, like, I, I couldn't understand, I couldn't wrap my mind around a God who would just create some person this way, but someone else perfect. Yeah. That, in my head, that's what I was thinking. I mean, I, I think any of us would have been asking that question. I just want to point out that I think all of us uh, have things in our life that we, we tend to kind of bargain with God about, and we, we tend to ask God why. And I, I think there are, these are some of the greatest questions of life. But I love what you said, because anytime you're thinking the world is going to be a better place without me, uh, clearly we're not thinking the way God thinks about us. And there was this clear turning point that happened in your life where you said your prayers started changing. Can you explain what you mean by that? Yeah, I mean, for, for, for a long time in this period, I, I became just really depressed and really angry and, and suicidal. I started think just believing I don't want to do this life anymore. I don't want to be here anymore. I, maybe the world would be a better place without me. And uh, real quick, what, what was happening uh, was that was the enemy speaking into my heart and trying to bring me down uh, from God. I, I think, and what I want to tell you just real quick is I think the enemy in his existence is, number one, he's real, and he's all around us. And number two, his goal in existence is to make us feel like we can't be used by God. He wants, he wants to make us feel like we aren't important to God, thus separating us from that love that, that God is just reaching out for, to us by. You know, because he's scared of the potential that we have through God. He's scared of what we're going to do. He's scared that we're going to destroy him. He doesn't want that, so he's going to try to destroy us in our immaturity. In our infancy, he's going to try to destroy us before we can even have a chance to experience what God fully has for us. And that, that's what he was trying to do with me. That's what he was filling my head with and filling my heart with, with just darkness, hate, and suicide, that, that he was trying to kill me. Um, but God intervened um, at the darkest point. God truly intervened in my life, and, and uh, right when he did that, uh, my questions started to change. Uh, there's a passage in the Bible um, in John chapter 9 that, that really spoke to me in such a big way, and this passage, passage is in John chapter Nine. I think I just said that. I love it. That's why I said it twice. <laughs> but uh, essentially, in this uh, passage, Jesus and his disciples are walking on this path, and the disciples see a blind man on the side of the road uh, who's just alone and broken and blind, and 
just lonely. And the disciples look to Jesus and they're like, Jesus, why, why is this man blind? You know, the, the disciples see somebody who's different and they immediately ask, what happened to him? Why is he blind? And that, that's a question I've gotten a lot in my life too. You know, every day I meet somebody new and they're like, so where are your arms? What happened to your arms? I remember uh, this past summer I was at the beach and this, this tiny little girl asked me, she's like, what, where are your arms? And I said, when I was your age, I didn't eat my vegetables. That's brilliant. And her parents are right there. So I've gotten that question enough where I've started giving fake answers, um, just for fun. But yeah, so the disciples, Jesus' own best friends are asking Jesus, you know, whose fault was it? Who, did somebody sin? Did, is this some kind of punishment that this man is blind? Because there's no possible way that this is, this is purposeful, right? In the disciples' heads, that's what they're thinking. But then Jesus just answers in, in such a profound, powerful way that completely changed my life uh, forever. Uh, he looks at them, and I kind of picture him shaking his head a little bit, just kind of like, you guys still don't really get how we work, how me and the Father work. You, we really don't get it yet. But then he just says, no, 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 this, this man wasn't born like this because somebody sinned or somebody did something bad, or he's punished, but the, the truth is that this man is blind so that God could work through him in a big and mighty way, that, that God could use him despite his handicap, even through his handicap, God will work in him. So when I heard that, and when I read that at a random church service that I was forced to go to, it completely changed my mind. It completely changed my whole entire heart. God intervened in my life at a time when I needed him too, and then I was adopted a second time. Um, by him, because he, he made me realize and made me understand that the truth that God didn't make me like this. God didn't make me without arms because he's mean or there's some accident, but the truth is that God does have a divine, masterful artwork of a plan for my life and for all of our lives. You know, because, you know, I don't have arms, and I kept asking God, God, please give me arms, and I'll wake up, and I'll have arms, and then I'll follow you, and I'll declare your name to everybody, because look at this miracle you did. You gave me arms. That was my prayer for such a long time, but, but that's the wrong prayer. That's the wrong thing to do, to try to barter and try to bargain with God, to say, God, if you just do this, if you just give me this, then I'll be happy. Then I'll, then I'll believe in you if you just do this for me. That's, that's the wrong thing to do. We're getting it all wrong. Because the truth is, if we were to do that, if we were to just say, God, give me this promotion, give me this raise, give me, make me pass this test so I can get into this college, then I'll follow you. Then I'll, then I'll be set. We're never going to be set. We're never going to be good to go. We're never going to be truly happy if we do stuff like that. I realize now, if I would have woken up with arms, that would have been awesome. But, but I bet a couple months later, there would have been something else. There's always going to be something else because nothing is truly going to fulfill us the way we think it is without God and without his plan and purpose for, for our lives. So my question to God changed. My, my questions started changing from, how could you do this to me? And then they changed from, God, how can you work through this? How can you work in me through this? How can you use me through this? Because I, now I believe that, that you want to use me. How can you use me? So. That's so powerful. And uh, I think sometimes, uh, if you're anything like me, I can kind of just miss the miracle that's right in front of me because I'm asking God for a miracle that I'd prefer. And I think it's just so important to see that George was a miracle in the making from the moment he was born. 
and that God had an amazing purpose for him. And there's just all these scriptures and ideas from the beginning to the end of the Bible that pop up in my mind when I think about this. I mean, how about Joseph at the end of his life, and he had some detours, right? Uh, God said that what the enemy meant for evil, I'm going to use it for good. Or how about in Romans, it says that we know that all things work together for the good of those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. And there's a purpose for every single person that's in this room. And that's the encouragement and the life we wanted to, to kind of share with you today. And um, it gets better. You want to hear the good part? There, there's some cool stuff that comes here. So um, from an early age, your parents kind of encouraged you to get involved with music, which is so cool. And, and how did that all emerge? How, how did that come to the surface? Um, yeah, I mean, so when I was seven years old, my, my parents told me that, well, I mean, I remember watching my favorite movie for the first time, which was Lord of the Rings. I love it. Seriously, kind of a geek. Uh, but I, so I watched Lord of the Rings for the first time, and then my mom just said, I got up from the couch during the credits, and I walked over to the piano and just started playing the music from the movie. Um, just kind of with my, through my ear, just kind of hearing it and then just playing it. Uh, so my parents both were like, okay, well, he's musical, so we need to invest in that. We need to... to use, you know, help get him to use that. So uh, the next day, they were like, hey, George, this is at the breakfast table, and he was like, hey, they're like, hey, George, uh, you're going to start uh, learning to play the cello. And I hated that. I hated it. They went for the I, beginner instrument. <laughs> right? The cello is so easy. Um, no, but, but you know, pe people kind of, some people, would, would, it would be normal to assume that I would love music from the very start, and I'd be like this prodigy, but I, I hated it. I hated the fact that I had to take cello lessons and practice and, and do all this stuff, but, but this theme of my parents believing in me, believing that, that there's a plan for me, they never let me quit, even though I wanted to so many times. So I, I started to learn the cello uh, through a lady at our church who was a private music teacher, and I was obviously the first student that she had without arms uh, to learn an instrument. So she was a little taken back and a little concerned, like, can this be done? So she decided she's going to learn to play the cello with her feet. She has arms, two arms. And uh, so she took a couple weeks to just practice the cello with her feet and her arms and just say, okay, how can this be done? How can his toes be used like fingers on, on, a, on a fretboard or on, a, you know, str on the strings? And how can this be done? And she decided, you know what? This is possible because she could play Twinkle Twinkle Little Star with her feet. And she's like, this, this can be done. So from then on, we just took I took cello lessons and my musical, my musical ability just kind of formed through that cello and through the classical music and learning all that really easy stuff. <laughs> it's not easy. And then after there, I, uh, in middle school and high school, I started playing the piano and I taught myself the guitar and um, I really wanted to learn the guitar because I would tell the other kids in school when they were talking about their bands they were in, they were like, oh yeah, my band this and garage band. And um, I was like, oh, I'm a musician too. And, and they were like, oh, that's awesome. What do, what do, you, what do you play? And I'm like, I play the cello. And they're like, oh, that's, that's, that's really cute. You know, that's pretty. So I was like, okay, I'm going to learn to play the guitar because number one, it's cooler. Number two, maybe I'll get a date if I play, play the guitar. I've always heard chicks love the cello. Am I right? Yeah? No? Yeah. Good joke. I, no. What am I going to do, play like Vivaldi for them? Um, so, so yeah, so that's kind of how music happened in my life that, that I just... Started playing the cello, and then God just gave, you know, gave me the desire to branch off and challenge myself. Now, here's where this goes from here. This is what's so cool and what I love about God. Um, I think that God knew exactly what he was doing, and he had a, a perfect plan. And uh, there was this amazing moment that kind of was a, a launch pad for where you went that brought you to this point. 
there was a pretty popular band that got a hold of a cover that you did of, of their song. Tell us about that. Yeah, so after I graduated high school, I, I played a, a little show a, in my hometown, like the first time I ever played on a stage, and um, I played the song Iris by the Goo Goo Dolls. Uh, I love that song. I think it's really powerful. And uh, turns out they, they saw that the video of me doing that online a couple days later, and then they just reached out to me, and they were like, we love the way you did our song, and you're, you're an inspiration. Uh, come play it with us. Uh, come play with us at, the, at our concert in Pennsylvania. Uh, so I, I went to Music Fest and did, did that, and I played on stage with them, and I opened up for them. And uh, it's really cool the way that God uh, gave me this opportunity because the whole time I was wearing this shirt with a footprint on it. And the shirt said, intelligently created. And then Johnny Resnick was like, so what's your shirt mean? You know, he kept looking at it. He's like, what does that even mean? And I told him, I was like, you know, this is, my, this is a footprint. This is who I am. You know, that's kind of what it symbol, uh, symbolizes. And I, I think, I believe that, that I was created for a reason, intelligently. I believe that, that the way I am is the way I'm supposed to be, by God. And he, he created me for this purpose and for a plan. And he's like, that's so cool, man. So I, I, don't, I don't know if he ever, ever really like, thought about it, but I think just the fact that I had the chance to share that with him, it's kind of cool. But that, yeah. that was kind of the stepping ground of, of more opportunities and just chances to share the, this message and just the hope that God gave me uh, to share with, with anyone else I can ever talk to ever in life. Yeah, and so that video went kind of viral, and so you can check it out on YouTube. And I, I was just thinking, man, how cool is this? I mean, one of my favorite verses is, how beautiful are the feet that bring the good news? And I was like, man, that's, that's your life verse right there. How cool is that? Make a, make a t-shirt out of that. I know. Make a song out of it. I could do that, too. There you go. But um, here's, here's what I wanted to camp out on at the end here, and then he's going to perform an original song, which is so good. Um, I, I would love for you to just speak to some people maybe that are in the audience right now, that, that are feeling hopeless, and they might feel like, you know what, I don't know that God could do what he did in your life, in my life. You don't know my situation. Um, I've contemplated ending it all. There, there are all sorts of people from all sorts of different places, but what, what do you think God would like to speak to them in this moment? Yeah, you know, I, I, I love the chance to be able to just talk to you now, just, just person to person. You know, I, I, I'm handicapped and I'm disabled, but the, the real truth of it is I'm not the only disabled person in here. You know, if you really think about it, I'm not the only one with a handicap here. Uh, because cause the truth of, of life and the truth of who we are is that we're all uh, broken people in one way or another. We're all broken. We all have broken pieces and, and doubts and insecurities and depression and anger and suicidal thoughts and hopelessness. We all have these things about us because we live in a sinful world. We live in a world that's just full of it, that's full of all this stuff that, that, that's so messy and, and dirty and, and, and just, just bad. We, 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 this is the world we live in. And it's so easy for us to look at all the brokenness in our own lives and to look at the brokenness in everyone else's life and just say, where is God? You know, where is God? You know, and, and it's so easy to look at our own situation, which the truth is I don't know. I don't know your stories, and I don't know your situation. If I could, I'd get to know every, each and every one of you and each and every one of your stories because, because my story isn't special. I, I don't consider my story special I, because I'm just like all of you. I'm just like all of you. I was broken, and now I'm made new. You know, if, if you're a believer in here this morning, you were adopted. You were once an orphan, and now you were adopted. You know, God takes what is broken and he molds it and forms it into something beautiful that he can use for his glory and to impact and change the world. So, so if you're somebody in here who maybe was, was at, who, who right now is at that point that I once was, 
I just want to encourage you with that hope and that truth that God isn't distant. He's not far away. He's not, he's not some guy up in the, in the sky who doesn't care about you, who only cares about the, the important stuff. You are important. God does care about you. You may be an orphan now, but God is ready to adopt you into his family and give you life and give you a purpose and give you a future and, and just, just security knowing that he's got it all under control. So I just want to encourage you to, to take that step that, that I took that almost, you know, right before I almost ended my life that I just decided to take and instead just say, God, take me, take my brokenness and make it something. Make it something that, that makes life worth living because this life isn't worth living. And I don't think this life is worth living without that, without that hope and without that, that purpose that God, that only God can give us. We can find purpose and other stuff and try to do that, but we're going to jump around and we're going to move around and then fail and we're going to be disappointed and we're going to lose it. We're going to lose ourselves in that. So I just want to encourage you to remember that and to just take a look at my life that I, I really don't think is all that special. It's just a, one story out of millions of, of, of a broken man made new, of a broken boy made into a man of, full of hope and just, just, just a new man, just a new creation. Yeah. Um, so I think that's the prayer that we all, we all have. You know? Isn't that cool? So good. Um. You know, I just think of, of the scripture that, that the Bible tells us that in our weakness, his strength is made perfect. And, and it's just this beautiful showcase of how good God is and how much he can do with, with us. And I love this quote that, you know, God doesn't call the people who are qualified. God qualifies the people who are called. And every single person here, whether you've, you've ever heard this or not, God has a specific plan and purpose and a reason that he created you. And that's what we pray this morning that you discovered. And we're going to end on just kind of a, a happy note with him singing. But real quick, can you just tell us, um, tell us, you know, I think people are curious, what does a day in the life of George Dennehy look like? And how might it be a little bit different from all of our lives? Well, a day in my life is definitely different, um, especially growing up in my house. I mean, that, that's, a, that's a given. Um, but just using my feet for everything. So, so the thing is, I, I use my feet for, for literally everything. Ever since I was little, I just naturally learned how to use my feet. So people will ask me, like, well, how do you do this? And how do you do this? And, and even after I say, like, oh, I just use my feet for everything, they're like, well, well, how do you brush your teeth? I'm like, with my feet? Um, I remember I, I was at a school uh, giving a talk at an assembly, like an anti-bullying assembly, which is, oh, I'm so honored to be able to do, do that. Um, Anyways, and I, I left some time open for question and answers, and this was out of middle school. I kind of regret doing that um, to, with middle schoolers, but they have questions, and yes, they do have questions. Um, but this one kid stood up, and he, and he just stood up, and he got the mic, and he's like, hey, my name is whatever his name was, and he said just completely, sincerely, and genuinely, so like, how, how do you even walk upstairs? Ah. Uh. It's a good question, right? It is, yeah. It's a great question. How does somebody with no arms but two legs walk upstairs? It's a great question. So there I was sitting there trying my best not to give a sarcastic answer because I'm a very sarcastic and uh, I'm, a, I'm a kind of a jokester too. So I had to do my best because I, like I was their guest speaker for the morning. But, so I looked at him and I was like, well, you know, it's a very difficult process. But when I get to a staircase, I, I use one foot to uh, get on the first step. And then I use the second foot to get on the next step. And then I use the second foot, third foot. Well, only on two feet. But you know what I mean. 
So a day in the life, really, you know, I do everything that you guys would do. I wake up, I make coffee, I make breakfast, change my son's diaper. You know, I, I do all that stuff, um, but I just do it with my feet. So yes, I guess it is different, but to me, it's not. To me, it's just, it's just who I am. It's just what I do. But um, if, if there was a documentary of just a, a day in the life, you'd probably, you know, I'm, I'm sure people would be like, whoa. You know, I get in the car and I drive to where I need to go and go to Starbucks and go through the drive-thru and people's reactions and... She's like, how do you want me to give you the drink? I'm like, oh, just hand me the drink and I'll take it. <laughs> I give her the money and she's, she's just staring at me the whole time. I'm like, it's okay. I'm, I'm cool. <laughs> so, yeah, everything's normal, but it's not. So, yeah. That's a great answer. Well, hey, we're going to end by uh, hearing an original song that George wrote. And I just want to invite you to head out to his product table. It's called Have My Heart. And uh, this has been going like crazy. And uh, we actually have run out. But you can uh, place an order today. It's just 10 bucks, And uh, I've, I've listened to this and sampled it. It's so good. And uh, you're going to hear one of these songs right now. So why don't you just introduce the song. I'm going to get out of your way. And can we give it up one more time for George? Um, real quick, I just want to introduce it. I mean, I'm, I'm so excited to share this with you. I actually just wrote it like a month ago or so, and I, was, I just wrote it um, thinking about this whole thing, thinking about being an orphan, being adopted, and um, just that whole journey as we were all orphans. So I wrote this song called Not Abandoned, and it's a reminder to, to the orphan, whoever that may be, even if there's an orphan in here right now, that wherever you are in life, orphan or not, you're, you're not alone with, with, with the pain that you're dealing with. You're not alone uh, because because God is, is ready to adopt you. God is ready to, to take you in, take you to his family, let you sit at his table and, and give you life and give it purpose. So I, I just wrote this song called called Not Abandoned.
you're not abandoned. You're not alone. There is a family that wants to make you their own. You're gonna find out on this broken road. There is a pathway that's gonna lead. Thank you for listening to the BC Podcast. Follow us at A City Connected on Twitter and Instagram to stay updated, inspired, and encouraged.